Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Elysian NXT podcast. I'm Chris, I'm the CEO and founder of Elysian NXT and today we're in the beautiful British club here in Bangkok uh, and I'm joined with uh, Stephen Claxton who's the principal risk advisor at Deloitte and over a nice glass of pimp we will discuss the hottest topic in the industry which is ESG and more specifically we will zoom into the pillar 3 disclosures that were published in January uh, 2022, which gives a very specific direction where the industry is heading uh, in terms of ESG reporting. Steve, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for inviting me and obviously enjoying a lovely PIMS at the British Club, so <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great great time to be here. Good, good, good. Now, when I read uh, the disclosures, uh, mm. specifically the, the 10 templates, the three tables to be published, yep. uh, you know, I had the impression that it's all about the E in ESG. It's all yep. about, for me, the, the climate risk. What's, what's your take on this? Yeah, look, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think it's, it's sort of reflective of where the standard has come from. Obviously, in the European context, the societal aspects around, let's call it, um, you know, governance of you know, employment legislation, in terms of inclusion, and the sort of the broader aspects of the S component, I mean, they've been taken care of for a long time, right? So I don't think you need to have the EBA sort of profess to the banks how to sort of have that societal component. And then when you look at the governance aspect, obviously post the global financial crisis or the liquidity crisis, <laughs> which effectively mm -hmm. happened in, in Europe, I think um, you had obviously the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision release the various principles on corporate governance, mm -hmm. you know, from board responsibility to internal communication, external communication, internal audit. You've then seen in places like Australia, um, where they have the BIRD principles or banking, executive accountability, responsibility, mm -hmm. you know, accountable people. Mm -hmm. So the governance aspects have obviously been sort of really sort of ironed out, you know, post the global financial crisis. So I think, you know, to your point around, if we sort of look at the residual, obviously the S has been covered, the G has been covered. What is the residual? It's the environmental component. And obviously, you know, uh, climate and, um, you know, the sort of Basel Committee principles of obviously sort of, you know, which released in November, that's kind of the pre-context to the sort of the, um, the standards being released. So, so yeah, look, I think you're absolutely spot on. It is yeah, yeah. very probably. much about that environmental component. So yeah, probably climate risk is also the most urgent one. <laughs> have to tackle it. Uh. Well, I th you know, I mean, I'm doing quite a lot of work in the area of systemic risk uh, mm -hmm. around recovery and resolution planning relating to a variety of matters. Obviously, you've got the geopolitical risk in, mm -hmm. in obviously, Eastern Europe. So to me, I would sort of talk about resilience of the institutions, resilience of the financial sector. To me, climate is just another dimension. I think, you know, we'll probably touch on that kind of not um, looking at this mm -hmm. as a sort of a, a, a sort of a completely disjoint risk. This is really around evolution, so the evolution of, of, of thinking of how to manage the, the prudent well-being of the financial institutions. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, touching on the point that you say, you know, it's an evolution. Mm. Uh, when when I, I read the templates, yeah, mm. I have the impression that it's very closely related to the data which is needed in mm. the whole credit risk area. Mm. You know, uh, the banking book exposures, residual mm. maturity, mm. sector codes, uh, mm. you know, the whole collateral yep. information. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, as I say, I suppose I think I was just sort of touching on that um, Basel Committee paper, which was released in November 2021. And, you know, the 
the distinction when you've got over the sort of the initial uh, couple of principles, which is relating to governance, oversight, strategy, when it gets into the component of measurement of risk, you'll see that there's a specific line item, I think it's principle eight, mm -hmm. is directly for credit risk. And then the other market risk and mm -hmm. operational risk and residual risk are kind of badged together. So I think there's certainly a clear emphasis on credit risk. And again, I think it sort of denotes the sort of the general business model, because if you're either a retail bank or a corporate bank or a sort of a, a combination thereof, mm -hmm. generally the sort of credit risk in the banking book is the most material from a capital perspective. Correct, yeah. Obviously the IBs, the investment banks, will be more on the trading book side. So, mm -hmm. you know, they do obviously have to look at the sort of the implications of their investment strategy and where they're actually taking long and short positions in terms of the sustainability and the climate. But again, I think they're, they're less less transparent, I suppose. I think society doesn't necessarily view the mm -hmm. investment banks in the same light as they would see the sort yeah. of the high street banks. I think there's a different, uh, different approach on that. But, but yeah, in general, I think it's, it's very much kind of credit. And you know, if you look at the profile of um, the typical financial institution in banks, you know, credit, market, and interest rate, those are the most mature forms of, of risk. So I think it kind of reflects materiality, mm -hmm. sophistication, and, and mm -hmm. market consistency of the, the approach. So. Yeah. Okay. If you would be the CRO of a high street bank, mm. would you tackle you know, uh, climate risk as a separate pillar? Mm. Or would you say, no, it, that doesn't make sense, and it's more closely related to the other pillars of risk mm. that you mentioned, liquidity, credit risk, yep. market risk? Yep. No, look, I think um, it's, it's probably too low a level for a CRO. I think ultimately climate needs to be owned by CEO. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason why I say that is because, um, you know, the, the typical sort of operating model that's in place at a financial institution, the three lines of defence, so first line business unit who originates the asset or is, is, is reaching the, mm -hmm. for the deposit, or the, the second line which is essentially your group functions, oversight and ensuring mm -hmm. consistency, and then internal audit around sort of the effective challenge process. You know, climate needs to be embedded in all aspects of the, the business unit, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not a distinct risk. It's inherent in everything you do in terms of the, the pricing of a, a product. So say, for example, if we look at you know, some of the most uh, potential material exposures, obviously residential mortgages, given that you can have a tenor of up to sort of 25, 30 years, mm -hmm. That's consistent with the projection period that they're looking at mm. with the ECB kind of stress test. Yeah. So if you think about um, should a bank now start thinking about certain geographies? So if you take in the context of Australia, Rockhampton, which is uh, dependent on the sort of the, the coal industry in terms of the sort of the coal that comes through the port and then mm -hmm. gets exported. It's also near the, the, the sea, so yep. potential rising sea levels. You've yep. got a dependency on coal. If you're a high street bank and you're writing residential mortgages in that location, should you now start thinking about you know, truncating the tenor to which you'll lend? Yeah. And then do you have to start thinking about pricing? Mm -hmm. Do you actually start thinking about the behavioral maturity of that loan? Yeah. If you then start thinking about the, from a treasury perspective, mm -hmm. how do I raise deposits? How do I actually hedge? Because obviously if, the, if there's accelerated prepayments, accelerated pre-settlement on those mortgages because of the concern around climate, yeah. Is there going to be a concern from a you know, hedging perspective, a funding perspective? So absolutely every aspect of the, mm. the financial institution is going to be impacted. This is not a uh, group risk responsibility. I mean, you know, if, if society on large believes that climate is a, a human challenge that needs to be you know, addressed, 
then you know the bank or the insurance company or the financial institution should mirror that effectively it's everyone's responsibility so I wouldn't come at it from a, a risk perspective I'd come at it from a CEO pushing down into the organization in terms of the you know those three lines of defense so. Correct, because touching so many angles yeah, yeah. correct yeah, yeah correct correct yeah. Now, when I, when I read some of the templates, like template three about the alignment metrics, uh, yeah. I kind of felt sorry for myself that it, that it wasn't <laughs> better in chemistry. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> new terms that are popping up. Mm. Uh, is there a new profession being born? Will, will departments and banks need to hire kind of climate advisors? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a great question. I think we were touching on it before. I mean, I, I use the analogy of um, CVA as now being tagged in an APRA speaker's climate vulnerability assessment as opposed to credit valuation adjustment. And I mean, even the topic of um, ESG, I mean, as an actuary, um, ESG to me means economic scenario generation. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of terminology um, which is being, you know, miss, uh, well, I suppose re reorientated and mm -hmm. reinterpreted. So if I go back to probably around 2003, 2004, when the original Basel II standard was released, yep they introduced the concept of operational risk. Mm -hmm. Now, I think operational risk is one of the most material forms of risk in any organization. It was incremental in the sense that capital was now being held against operational risk. Operational risk has always been managed in an institution. So to me, I see climate as the new kid on the block. It is the new operational risk. I mean, arguably it's an extension of operational risk. Mm -hmm. and you know, yes, there's new terminology. Yes, like operational risk, there's new data, um, data around physical risk, data around transitional risk, and all of the various components. But I don't necessarily think it would be, you know, uh, a wise or, you know, a rational approach to create a cottage industry, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think now, obviously, life doesn't necessarily always reflect the, the rational approach. Mm -hmm. So whether the theory will turn out different from the practice, I'm, I'm sure there is. I mean, you, you, you can see there's a lot of niche consultancies which are popping up, but I think subsequently then getting acquired by a you know, larger organization, very much like the sort of the fintech population. You, mm -hmm. you know, you'll have a, you know, a couple of people who have a great, fantastic idea. It really resonates with the market. The more established, the more uh, bigger players will come in and acquire that. So I think you will see some cottage type industry emerge, but I mean, as to whether that will then be sustained, you know, only if the you know the people working in the ESG principles realise that at the end of the day it's a financial institution and there needs to be a reasonable rate of return, yep. you know at the end yep. of the day these institutions are held by pension funds for example. Pension mm -hmm. funds heavily invest in financial institutions to get a reasonable rate of return to pay the pensioners. Yep. So we can't we can't be looking at um, sacrificing a real rate of return for the people who are actually holding the investment in those institutions. To then pay their, you know, their, their sort of the annuity from a re retirement perspective. So I yeah. think, like life, you have to have that ba balanced approach. Yeah, I mean that's my. So did I did I answer the question or? Yeah. <laughs> 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 now, um, if you look at some of the new KPIs that yeah. are being introduced, you have mm. the green assets ratio mm. or the GAR. So the, yeah. the portion of the assets which are classified yeah. as being green in proportion to the total assets. Yeah. How important will that ratio, ratio become? Yeah, look, I mean, again, it's, um, you know, I think the general theme of what I've, what I've been saying is that you obviously need to take a, a broader look. I think it's, it will be uh, an, an immediate focus that, you know, people will be looking at the data inputs, the integrity mm -hmm. of that. I think mm -hmm. 
before we get into the um, how will the analysts and how will the you know the the market and whole assess it? I think we need to look at the auditability of it. I mm -hmm. think this is a critical component because obviously there's the potential for manipulation. This is creating a new whole audit stream. Who's going to be responsible for it? Um, who's going to attest to the fact that there's been due diligence in terms of yeah. the accuracy, the completeness, and the appropriateness of the data going into the computation? So I think um, before we before you sort of get to the point of you know, making a sort of a, an investment decision in terms of, you know, is that institution, you know, committing to, yep. to climate, to committing to ESG, I think there needs to be obviously the due diligence in terms of the computation. I think True. it mm -hmm. will, it will um, you know, impact. But again, you need to obviously consider, uh, you know, the business model, yep. I think the, the sector, because, you know, if, we, if you're looking in the sort of European banking sector, I think there'll be a probably a more, you know, razor sharp focus, you know, back to the original point, is Europe going to be leading the way? Yeah. Very much so. So I think the European banks, the European investors, the, the expectations in those markets will be a lot higher than if you say take um, Australia where the country is very much dependent on digging stuff yeah. up mm -hmm. and exporting it. Yeah. And, you know, the mm -hmm. ownership of the, of the financial institutions so I think you're going to see, obviously, uh, you know, variation in terms of the geography. Mm -hmm. I think you'll see variation in terms of the, the type of bank, whether it's a systemically important bank, smaller bank, for example. I think those are going to be natural, you know, points of differentiation in terms of, of how they see it. But again, it, it needs to be intersected with, you know, is the is the return on equity consistent with the, the green asset ratio, for example? Yep. Does it impact on the equity return? Does it impact in terms of your liquidity coverage ratio? Mm -hmm. How does it impact in terms of the, your stable funding? You know, the overarching picture. So again, back to the, the concept of, is this a new risk? It mm -hmm. needs to be integrated. To me, this is just about integrating it and, and intersecting it with the other uh, financial metrics and other non-financial metrics around, you know, positive contribution score, NPS scores, yeah. you know, reputational scores. Yeah. That's really where I think it, it's gonna go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so many factors that play a role in this, yep, uh, correct. you know, and of, of course the pillar three discloses about data that needs to be reported, yep. like we also had the ECB climate uh, risk stress test, yep. you know, um, what kind of, you know, infrastructure does, do banks will need to have to, to respond to that? Well, yeah, <laughs> again, I think um, if, we, if, we, if we take uh, probably about 20 steps back, uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm really interested in, in your view, I mean, um, so if we look at stress testing in a whole, and if we look at the sort of the integrated or enterprise-wide stress testing, which feeds through into your, your capital plan as part of your internal capital assessment process, or ICAP, yep. mm -hmm. because you have such a diverse range of stakeholders in your ICAP, you've got you know, Treasury, who will be doing the funding side, you've got the uh, risk, who will be doing the sort of the capital um, you know, demand in terms yep. of, sort of the risk profile, and in terms of the capital supply, you've obviously got, uh, you know, the IFRS 9 number, which obviously hits in terms of the potential organic capital. So you've got risk from that perspective. You've got finance in terms of the overall kind of cost structure. Mm -hmm. Then you have the various business units in terms of making balance sheet projections. So in my experience, the um, infrastructure supporting enterprise-wide stress testing is still quite um, piecemeal, yep. quite ad hoc. Yep. Mm -hmm. So whether whether financial institutions can use uh, the, the sort of the, I suppose, the um, climate as a catalyst mm -hmm. for actually making the investment, for yeah. actually 
addressing some of the historical deficiencies, I think, in terms of the infrastructure, in terms of the yeah. um, IT supporting stress testing, I think that would be a positive thing. Um, yeah. So I would, if I was in the, um, the sort of the CRO or the, the, the treasurer's you know, position, I would be using this as a, a justification for seeking funds to then actually, you know, sort of uh, build out a robust you know, uh, stress testing solution. So I think that's, yeah. um, I mean, and this is, um, you know, I was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the UAE uh, working with a client. Mm -hmm. um, so they had, they had findings from the central bank um, around the, um, the lack of uh, coordinated infrastructure and process around their ICAP and stress testing. So, you know, that this is a, a common theme and it's, you know, climate hopefully will be a, a catalyst for, for resolving those types yeah. of infrastructures. So. Yeah. But I mean, um, in terms of the, like, the specifics on the ECB um, climate stress test, I think, you know, the stress testing side, and, and which is why I sort of, you know, when we we're talking about this in the start, climate risk stress testing at the moment is really just about a gap assessment. It's mm. not about making any kind of decision in terms of the balance sheet, in terms of the, the funding, in terms of the liquidity. It's really about understanding where the data deficiencies, what the model deficiencies are. Yeah. Um, you know, when we, when we spoke to the ECB and we spoke to a couple of the economists and they were showing us the, the underlying sort of model methodology and um, they were obviously doing a, a long-term projection of the default risk. So I asked the specific economist the question, um, have you looked at what your term structure of default risk is relative to the long run uh, default curve, which you will see in say S&P's annual global credit study? Yep. And the response mm -hmm. came back, no, we haven't thought about that, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, back to my point about integrating climate into the business of banking, a rational approach would be to say, okay, I have my term structure of default risk on a climate unadjusted basis. Yeah. I then have a climate spread. Yeah. So you can reconcile, let's call it the unadjusted climate perspective and the climate adjusted. Otherwise, you may find that you start getting into this, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, yeah. if, you've seen, uh -huh. if, you've seen, if you've seen the narrative that comes out of the ECB stress test, mm -hmm. you don't need to run a model to have that narrative about making, you know, the short-term costs will be offset by the longer-term benefits, action now. These are all qualitative mm. narratives that we could say off the cuff, right? You don't need to have the pretense of, you know, getting 4.3 million customers and XYZ kind of, you know, industry codes. You can already make those kind of qualitative assessments. So I think if anyone's, um, you know, trying to put any kind of interpretation or making a financial decision off the back of these stress tests. I think it's, it's a little bit too preemptive for my liking. I don't, I don't know, did you have a similar view in terms of the outcomes of the stress test or the ECB? Uh, I look at it that, you know, when the probability of something to happen mm. cannot be, you know, qualified, yeah. then you need to have scenarios going in every kind of direction. Yeah. Because will the uh, climate goals be met yeah. as a correlation with the physical risk, yeah. correlation between transaction risk, physical yeah. risk. So yeah. the more scenarios that you can run on a variety of mm. parameters, you know, the more kind of mm. views you can have on, on where it's going. But mm. there are so many parameters at play. Yeah, but uh, again, it just it reflects the fact that, you know, they're not even talking about loss given default. Okay, so even if the customer defaults, right? Yeah. What am I ultimately going to lose? And if we take the, the concept of real climate, uh, 
impacted events, if we take a residential mortgage, right, you may not even be able to sell the asset. Right? Yeah. It may be Correct. a stranded asset. So yeah. you know, we should be focusing not just on the contingency of going into default, what is the actual loss given default? Because you, know, you can't necessarily just use historical um, you know, recovery rates or no. time to sale, mm -hmm. for example. Obviously, the, the time to sale could be extrapolated. There could be an additional collateral uh, hercup, for example. So, no, correct. If the collateral is in the wrong location, then you know. Yeah, correct. Is there stranded assets? Aren't correct. Those are, the, those are the things. But again, it's a it's a maturity profile curve. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Now, last last week, one of the top uh, European bankers he, mm -hmm. he quoted that the banking industry is kind of being used as the free handyman by mm. the policymakers in important tasks mm. like uh, you know money laundry climate risk yeah, these yeah. investments are huge yeah. keep up with all these initiatives what's your take on that i think it's a very first statement yeah. a very first statement uh, um, i think there is certainly becoming a, a vacuum i think in the political sphere mm -hmm. in terms of actually having a strong view and being able to sort of rise above um, you know sort of the polarity uh, you're seeing, I think, on the political domain, mm -hmm. you know, people are going to the extreme left and people are going to the extreme right. Yeah. The sort of the ability to sort of reconcile it and, and include people and actually make sensible policy decisions, um, you know, for the longer term benefit, is um, you know something certainly in the the European sphere and I think in the sort of the uh, Australian context and also in the US. So, so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think the, I think uh, financial institutions are becoming too much of a a, a medium or a vehicle for trying to address some of the policy deficiencies, yeah. and you know, look, it's not it's not the role of the financial institution uh, to try and solve some of the societal ills. I mean, um, you know, as a as a as a financial institution risk practitioner, I you know I believe in just being a decent human being. Now, whether being a decent human being addresses some of the societal ills that come around with money laundering, for example, I mean. I think there is um, a spectrum of money laundering, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, when you start getting into some of the um, less desirable consequences of uh, money laundering, that's something which obviously financial institutions should be cutting down on. But there is a significant grey aspect of money laundering that goes on in mm -hmm. various parts of the world, which at some point does feed into the real economy. And I think there are, you know, privately, you would, you would have um, you know, ex-prudential regulators who would tell you that on the grey side of money laundering, mm. they'll accept it because it does keep people employed. <laughs> it does hedge some of the downside, uh, you know, aspects of the economy. But um, yeah, no, it's it's absolutely spot on. There is um, financial institutions should not be used as a, a mitigant for mm. deficiencies in the political domain. I agree. Yeah. I agree yeah. yeah. Now Europe is taking apparently a leading role in yeah. the whole climate risk, uh, as humans has to do with the Paris Accord and the European Green Deal to make yep. Europe, Europe climate neutral by 2050. Yep. Will the rest of the world follow? Well, yeah, I mean, and I, th I think, Chris, if we, if we just go back to the, the previous comment you were making around the, um, the, the CEO talking about um, financial institutions being used as a sort of a, a medium for, for driving the agenda. If you, if you think about how, how is the policy going to be affected and rolled out? We look at it from two dimensions. One is around the financial institutions, and mm -hmm. one is around the regulation. If we look at the financial institution space, obviously BNP Paribas is, I think, it's the second most uh, largest, um, you know, globally systemic institution in on the planet, right? Mm -hmm. And has a large commodity business. Obviously, the commodity sector 
trade flow is going to be you know, significantly impacted mm. both from the, you know, the physical side in terms of the, the origination of the mm. commodity, whatever's been developed, and obviously the supply chain around logistics, be it sort of on ground or be it the shipping component, for yeah. example. So obviously BMP is on the record as obviously buying into the sustainability that are actively in this space. So from the financial institution perspective and back to the policy perspective, you're going to have obviously the European banks driving that. And then if we look at the, the regulatory side, obviously Basel Committee for Banking Supervision under the BIS, Bank of International Settlements, the central bankers, central bank, I mean, they are driving the agenda, as we sort of alluded to before the November 2021, you know, the principles, mm. they are the gold standard for regulation. They are the gold standard for how to interpret and how to drive it. So, so yeah, absolutely. I think from a you know, systemic importance perspective from that financial institution, from the, the integrity and the, the drive of the, the central bank, central banker, I think that's why you'll see you know, the European institution and regulation permeating through the rest of the, the globe. You've seen it in uh, Singapore, for example, the mm. Monetary Authority's environmental policy, Bank Nagara, I think that was the end of uh, 21. They, again, released similar principles, which is largely follows the, sort of the, the principle which you put in the BCBS document. APRA has got its climate vulnerability assessment, again, similar principles. So again, you know, yes, all coming through from Europe. So. That's good, and, and yeah, I yeah. would only hope so, because otherwise, yeah. you know, the target of 2050 will not be met only <laughs> by the European uh, efforts. Well, I, <laughs> and I then we're in big problems. <laughs> I, hope was, I hope I'm still alive at uh, 2050. <laughs> Based on current mortality projections, I should be, but... Uh. <laughs> it might be different from my perspective. <laughs> Come on, Chris. <laughs> oh, Steve, thank you very much for such an interesting discussion, and uh, thank you very much for the... Oh. Very good tips. Uh, for any viewers uh, working in the finance industry, you know, if you are looking for an integrated risk platform that can help you in running you know, all these different climate risk scenarios, feel free to contact Elysian NXT. We're there to help you. If you're looking for world-class climate risk advisory, I'm sure that Stephen and the professional team at Deloitte are ready to support you. Thank you very Thank much. You all. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks.